and it's good good camera lens there too well florence williams welcome to the edge broadcast man we were just before you come on here we were singing how can you mend a broken heart by the beaches perfect and then we had uh, uh what we call a bear report he gives us encouraging news for the week talk about a, a little boy who was at a uh, blake shelton concert and he's getting a little he's getting heart transplant so he called him up stage and sung with him so we're, we're all about the heart tonight and I've, right. never, I've never heard anybody equate heartbreak with science or put them in the same sentence. But I think tonight uh, we might be doing that. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I became heartbroken really for the first time in my life um, when my marriage ended. It was about uh, five years ago. And I had always thought that heartbreak was a metaphor, you know, that mostly it was something in your head. It was a big emotion. And I was really stunned when I registered that pain so strongly in my body. You know, I, I knew there was so much art around heartbreak. There was so much popular music. There was so much poetry, you know, tragedies and plays. But but where was the science? You know, I wanted to know why this was happening to me and what was going on and how I could feel better. Well, uh, let me see. I don't think anybody that's watching this program has ever had a heartbreak. So you might be alone in that on that on that issue there. But I can say probably people may have had multiple heartbreaks. And so there's the question right there. Uh, is it possible once you have a heartbreak to get it repaired and then break it again? Is this, can it, could this end up to be a constant cycle? You know, it can be. <laughs> it depends on your luck, I guess. But, you know, they say that a real big heartbreak only happens once or twice in your life, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet, for such a, an important big event that so many of us go through, we really don't know how to handle it. You know, there's no sort of public ritual for it. There are no kind of standard set of protocols. People feel like they're going through it alone, even though it is such a universal emotion. It feels very singular when it's happening to you. And it, it feels lonely, and which is part of, I think, what makes it hurt so much. Mm. Um. Well, there's so many people that, that are that have had a heartbreak that Elvis sang a song and said there's a hotel where <laughs> if, where you go if if you have a heartbreak. So now, I, now he doesn't really say that when you go to heartbreak hotel that uh, your heart gets fixed. You just, it could be it could be like Hotel California. You can check in, but you can never leave. You know what I mean? Right. That's right. And, and so that means a lot of people may be suffering and have suffered with heartbreak for years. Uh, Some people never get over it. About 50, according to the scientists, about 15% of people really have a hard time recovering from heartbreak. Most of us will feel the effects of heartbreak, sort of the physical effects, you know, the sort of increased risk of heart disease, um, increased stresses, increased risk of diseases for about four years. Our nervous systems kind of won't really reset for about four years to baseline. But that said, there are about 15% of people take much, much, much longer than that. Hmm. Um, I noticed in the bio that we had for you on our website, it says that uh, our cells listen to our loneliness. That's right. I, I, I was so concerned about what was happening to my body and to my health, which I felt was really imperiled um, after I had this big sort of emotional, um, you know, 
blow. And so I talked to immunogeneticists, um, people who specialize in the immune system. Um, for example, at UCLA, uh, we actually looked inside my white blood cells and my transcription factors to find out how my immune system was responding to heartbreak. Um, and it responds like the blood of what he called lonely people, that we have these white blood cells that actually listen to our social state. And when we're lonely, our immune systems kind of shift their priorities and they change the way they behave, which is really weird because you would think when you're when you're really sad, <laughs> you need your immune system to be working well for you. You don't need to get sick on top of feeling sad. But unfortunately, our, our nervous systems don't really know the difference between being sort of abandoned out on the prairie or out on the savanna and being circled by hyenas um, or being rejected in love. Mm -hmm. They treat it the same way. And so your immune system kind of gears up for battle. It's preparing in some ways um, for a flesh wound as mm -hmm. if you're about to be attacked by a predator. And so that's why you put out more inflammation. Um, the problem is that at the same time you're putting out more inflammation, because your immune system can't do everything, it's actually putting um, it's putting sort of less energy into fighting things like viruses. Mm. And of course, if we're lonely or heartbroken for months and months or years on end, then we're facing chronic inflammation, which we know leads to a whole bunch of health problems. Mm. And just joining us on the uh, on the program tonight in our live chat, Jim Shook, Jane Meadows, uh, Babu, and Max Volgan. If anyone has a question, put it in the live chat. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, the chat is on the right. If you watch the program on the left, the, the chat is on the left upper, and these questions will come to me. Well, Florence, I don't know if you looked at the website, but we have a poll question. We always do whatever the topic is that we discuss with the guest. So tonight's poll question related to you, how can you mend a broken heart? How apropos on that one. Uh, the answers are they can um, seek God, ignore it ever happened. It can't be fixed. Mine's never been broken. Get a replacement or there's no <laughs> such thing. Right now, it says seek nature's God. Uh, 50%, 25% just say ignore your broken heart. And then 25%, and we got a problem here, men, you're gonna have to work on this. 25% says it can't be fixed. So hopefully we'll find some kind of remedy on that. Now, the, the get a replacement, I'm assuming that that means Amazon, if you need a heart or something, maybe get it, get it, uh, you know, get it on Prime, maybe next day air, something like that. Or you get it overnighted. Well, yeah, so yeah, next day air there too, secondary poll there too as well. And by the way, the people watching the program, uh, just a quick yes or no, be honest, has your heart been broken? And you can say yes, and if you feel like multiple times, say yes, three, four, the number, or yes, one, yes, two, yes, four. Some of you, yes, 10 or 12, you know that, so just go ahead and admit it. But just real quick, so we can just let the guests know that the others have had uh, some heartbreak too as well. And I think we have all had heartbreaks, so let's just be honest about that. So, but in your heartbreak, did you feel physical pain? I did. Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, I felt my chest was sort of tight and constricted. Um, I actually had some heart fluttering going on, like palpitations. My eye was twitching. But but mostly my, my symptoms were a little more diffuse than that. They involved things like not being able to sleep well at night. Um, I lost a lot of weight uh, that I didn't want to lose. I felt just really on edge, you know, really agitated but also exhausted at the same time. Um, and eventually, with me, my pancreas started acting up. Uh, and I actually got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which is type 1 diabetes. Right now, we have, I see we have a graphic up, and it shows really, uh, it's not even funny for that matter. I mean, it's how people break up 
usually with their usually with their cell phone, Florence, and uh, uh, and I think some people say they if they find a, a love or whatever, then a lot of times they do get something called being ghosted. And I think I, I think it's I think it's where I'm not an expert in being ghosted, but I think it's where you text somebody and they never hear back as if you never existed. And so there's heartbreak and and. I don't know if we want how much we want to talk about, say, the, a person that wants say, uh, how he is the fifty percent or whatnot. But it seems that if there is a heartbreak, that the uh, one of the two is going to want to hit that wound a few times, not just to break your heart, but to go in there and say, "Oh, your heart's broken," <clears throat> and get a little enjoyment. Is that is, does that go on or am I imagining things? Well, that's certainly what it feels like to the person who's dumped. So the person who's dumped becomes very sensitive to rejection and sensitive to social pain and may even imagine that the other person is trying to hurt them even more than they are. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's true that one person wants the breakup a little bit more than the other one, sometimes a lot more than the other one. And so the one who's left behind um, can feel really, really rotten. You know, we're, we're a hyper-social species. Um, we are supposed to feel safety in numbers. We're supposed to attach really strongly to each other. And we're really, really sensitive to social cues. Like when someone says, you know what, I like, I like this person better than I like you, or, um, I just don't like you anymore. I don't love you anymore. Um, for, for us hyper-social animals, that really stings. It, we do not like to hear that. All right. Taking a look in the live chat, um, the question I just posed earlier so I'll just run through them real quick in case you're not looking. Okay, so Tuesday and Treasure said yes. Friends Radio got the number three. Okay, thank you, friends, for being honest there. Casarelli says three. Um, uh, we've got another one here that says uh, it hurts bad. Uh, yes, twice divorce. Oh, this one's bad. I'm sorry about this one. Times 10 plus. I guess they quit counting after the plus. We got uh, yes, three. We've got yes, two. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to call out names, although everybody can see, of course, the live chat's like a family, everybody knows. Uh, Karen Lee says four, I'll just throw one out there for you. Um, and we got ten. Uh, some people say, uh, I'm not in love, so, so don't forget it. I'm not in, wait, is that a song? Somebody's put a song line in there. I'm not in love. Yeah, yeah, he was. That's why he was singing. Uh, so this person here says their heart still hurts from 1978. Now here, now here in Indianapolis, we had a giant uh, winter storm that dumped 10 foot of snow. So that definitely, I don't know if he was in Indianapolis when that happened. Hopefully not, but that add, add insult to injury. So it looks like a number of people have, have graciously, you know, and I think they've always said that the healing can, can start by sharing your experiences uh, rather, rather than keeping them in. Is there anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. I found that to be true. Like I said, it feels like a lonely experience when you're going through it. Um, but it's very helpful to reach out, talk to people about your heartbreak, hear about other people's heartbreaks. In fact, for the reporting of this book, I went to visit a museum in Croatia, in Zagreb, called the Museum of Broken Relationships. Wow. And this museum is filled with sometimes amusing objects that people have sent in that represent their relationship or represent their heartbreak. So, you know, people will send in a transistor radio that their love gave them, you know, when they met them on a beach. And then when they break, broke up, they didn't know what to do with this radio. It came to symbolize their relationship. They donated it to the museum, and then they wrote a little paragraph about 
about their relationship and what went wrong. And when you walk through this museum and you see all of these objects kind of beautifully lit on display, you read these little paragraphs, you begin to understand <laughs> that this is really a human, a very common human experience. And there's a lot of comfort, I think, in knowing that so many of us, almost all of us, go through it. Mm. All right, I've got questions coming in here. Um, uh, say, question is for Southern Boy says, uh, I've been to a, a graveyard lately and noticed husband and wife die within two years of each other. Did they die of heartbreak? Yeah, often that is the case. In fact, there was a uh, an epidemiologist, so a scientist who I think in the early 1800s went around and did exactly that. He looked at, at gravestones from married people and found that very often they would die within a year of each other. Uh, and, and we know that because the immune systems are really responsive to stress and to grief, you, it's true that you become, you become less able to fight certain diseases. But we also know specifically that the heart itself is not just a metaphor for love. We know that the heart literally can break after a big emotional wow. blow. So there's a condition called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, and it, it, about 5% of heart failure is because of this. It's, it's not due to the normal reasons for heart failure, which is a blockage in an artery. <laughs> Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, I can say it several times <laughs> wow. really fast. Okay. <laughs> it's a Japanese word. It's named after a lobster pot. So it's not caused by a blockage in the artery. It's caused by so many stress hormones in the face of grief flooding your heart that the one of the quadrants of the heart, the left ventricle, balloons out, can't pump anymore, and you end up in the hospital looking like you're having a heart attack. And in fact, 5% of people will die from this. 20% mm -hmm. of people will go on to have an increased risk of heart failure after that. Um, but that's just one of the reasons that your your heart might seize up and 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 literally fail after you know the death of your of your partner or your loved one. Hmm. Okay. Um, put your way first. Says uh, Florence is getting COVID vaccine breaking people's hearts. Definitely not. <laughs> okay. All right. Freely speaking, says is the sound of silence nature's blanket to heal the brokenhearted? That's a good question. I, I found from the research in this book that experiencing nature can be tremendously comforting. Um, the set, we know from a lot of studies that the sound of bird song, the sound of sort of gently flowing water, sound of gentle rain, sound of gentle wind, these things can really help calm our nervous systems, provide a sense of comfort, I love your background there. That's beautiful. Oh, I think that's me. Um, <laughs> that's me looking at the river. Okay. Um, and I've done a lot of research looking at the science of awe, that when we experience something beautiful or mystical, it may feel almost spiritual to us, it helps us feel less lonely because we feel more connected to the world around us. We feel more connected to nature. We may feel more connected to people. Um, that we're experiencing this with or to our communities. And it can be a real antidote to heartbreak to be open to this kind of beauty and this kind of awe. I don't think we hear that very often as a cure for heartbreak. So I'm, I'm really happy to spread the news on that one. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting on that. All right, uh, we have this question here uh, from Fringe. It says, why is it you never get over your first love? It's really strange. 
Oh, I think a lot of us do get over those first loves. <laughs> Some of our first loves are, you know, maybe not the finest specimens. Um, uh, but I, I think that when we're young, we're really impressionable. You know, science has told us that um, the, the music that we loved when we were teenagers, the books that we loved when we were teenagers, you know, we remember those things more strongly because our brains are just so sort of so open to the world around us. Our brains are growing. And and for some of us, that's true with our first loves as well. Hmm. All right. Uh, tonight we have on our Newsmaker Line is Florence Williams. We're talking about the science of, uh, of heartbreak. And, um, of course, you went through a period of, uh, merging, I suppose, science and, and self-discovery. Uh, so did you have to ask yourself some pretty hard questions that you didn't want to answer? Oh, yeah. Heartbreak will do that to you. I think it sort of tears you down to the studs. Um, you can't rely on your usual, um, you know, walls around you. The emotions just come so fast and so hard that you can't really deny them. It's very hard to stuff them down. At least it was for me. Um, I would just feel that pain. I would cry every day <laughs> for a little while anyway. Mm -hmm. And it really made me wonder about my emotional intelligence. You know, why wasn't I more in touch with these emotions to begin with these highs and these lows? Because as sad as I became in heartbreak, the weird thing is I also became really open to feeling incredible joy and happiness. And that really surprised me. Could those two emotions exist at the same time? Um, and it turns out that they could. And in fact, I actually really liked feeling big emotions because it made me feel more alive. Um, and, and now, you know, five years after my heartbreak, I feel like I know so much more about who I am because I was able to say, I'm really vulnerable. I'm a mess. I need to reach out to my friends. I need my friends to help me. Um, it just, I feel like it actually made me a better friend and a better person by the end of it. Hmm. Uh, to the, to the viewer's question, there's also that, uh, you talk about the first love it. What about this business that says we're time heals all wounds? Is that, uh, is that true? Is that a truism? You know, it's largely true, mm -hmm. but as I said, for 15% of us, it's not true. 15% of us will go on to suffer for a long, long time. And, you know, even with the time, average time of about four years to heal from a long marriage, when that splits up, I think there are things we can do to kind of speed that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. You can't speed it up 100% or 90%, but maybe you could speed it up by about half or 25%. Well, from the from the, from, from the Bee Gees standpoint, uh, they asked the question, how can you mend a broken heart? Well, they never really answered, so I guess a lot of them got some broken hearts. But on the other hand, talk about the, the music genre of, of course, singing about love and broken hearts. I mean, the, every country song out there is, is going to have somebody's broken heart. But um, Rascal Flat said that uh, in his song, uh, God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. And, and so he's he's indicating that your broken road of heartbreak is a path that, that either you're supposed to walk or designed to walk, intended to walk, but it's going to lead you somewhere. So have you, which, which, which camp are you, are you in, in the camp where how can you, how can you ever mend it? Or the camp says there must've been a purpose. 
Well, you know, I, I wouldn't have been inspired to write this book, I think, if I thought there was no way out. <laughs> I really have a hopeful message, which, which is that there is a way out. There are many, many wise people, many spiritual leaders across many different traditions who say you can't really learn how to even be a wise person and, and you can't learn how to help others unless you yourself have suffered. That suffering is, in fact, a path to some sort of enlightenment and the ability to help other people. And I really believe that now. Okay. Well, let me just pop something up on screen real quick. I'll get out of the picture here. We were talking about whether you're supposed to be on that road. Uh, uh, this is uh, Psalms uh, 34, 18. It says, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. So it appears from the, the Holy Writ that uh, that your broken heart is not gone unnoticed by the Creator. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Well, I think that when you experience a broken heart, eventually it can make you feel much more open to all kinds of possibilities. It can make you more sensitive to your own spirituality. Absolutely, I do believe that. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's get this question from uh, Shawanakia. It says, I've heard that singing with others increases, increases uh, oxy, oxytocin? Uh, Oxytocin. Okay, you know the word, excellent. And it can help you heal. Now, if that's true, I don't know if you watched our pre-show before you came on, but we were singing. I got the people, I put karaoke up there with the, how can you mend a broken heart? So we were all singing. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping people were increasing whatever that, how's that word? Oxytocin. Okay. Oxytocin. Uh, is, is that a truism? Does that heal, help heal the heart? Well, oxytocin is a neurotransmitter okay. and it, uh, it can reinforce bonding, feelings of bonding, feelings of attachment, feelings of love. Typically, um, humans and other mammals will, uh, generate more oxytocin when they're looking into each other's eyes, um, if they're touching each other. Um, sometimes you're, you're even by petting your dog, you can release some oxytocin. Mm. Um, and certainly singing and dancing and being in your community expressing joy is going to release a lot of happy hormones. Mm. So serotonin, um, yeah, maybe some oxytocin. And, and what oxytocin does is it actually directly counteracts the effects of stress hormones. Mm. So the more oxytocin you have flowing, the less cortisol you're going to have messing up your nervous system. Well, let me throw another question out to the viewers right now. So I, we asked the question sort of a historical sense, but is anybody watching the program have a heartbreak, going through heartbreak right now. Just doesn't be just a yes right there, unless unless you've got two or three things, relationships going on, and they're all broken. I guess you could say three, and some people probably do. But if you're if you're having it right now, just 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 put a yes in there. That'd be that'd be good right there. Um, Max Vogel says, "Does an excellent lover help with heartbreak?" Uh, it depends on your personality. So uh, if you're ready. For, for a new lover, if you're ready for a rebound, absolutely, yes. Because like as I said, you know, human touch, physical connection is gonna help release some oxytocin, it's gonna help calm your nervous system down. There's actually a scientific study showing that rebounds can improve and increase your self-confidence, can increase your self-esteem, can help you separate from the person who broke your heart. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to still feel safe, so, Hopefully you're having a rebound with someone you trust, uh, someone who feels like they're not going to further hurt your heart. Mm. 
Well, now one of my favorite movies, Letters to Juliet. This lady sent a letter in, elderly lady. I guess, well, she sent a letter in, and it about her broken heart, and she was she lost her first love, and it went to some group that looked at the letter, and they she lost her love, and she wanted to find it. So the this letter went to these people, and they went looking for her first love. And in the end, though it was years later, she eventually found her love, and her broken heart was healed. So to me, in that movie, um, Letters to Juliet, uh, there's still hope if your heart's broken that even later in life, way later, yeah. that your heart could be mended. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, our human brains are really, they're built for love. And as much as they can be hurt and our hearts can be broken, if we allow ourselves to kind of you know, open our emotions back up and, and try to connect, you know, with other people, mm -hmm. that love may happen just on its own. Well, we've got a couple of people that were brave enough and honest enough. And, and I noticed one of the things about you, Florence, is that, is that uh, you don't seem to be afraid to just let it out there. I mean, somebody, <laughs> somebody would say, well, you're telling your personal stuff. Well, yeah. What, what do you want? You know, people can be completely torn up inside and say, yeah, everything's great. And then that doesn't help anybody. Uh, but to be vulnerable sometimes kind of, kind of reminds me of a scene in John Wick movie where if you've ever seen this crazy show, John Wick is this assassin. He goes into a bar and, and the waitress says uh, to John Wick, I've never seen you like that. And he says, see me like what? She says, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So he was going through some stuff and he just lost his love in that. So being vulnerable means sometimes just being completely honest. And, you know, but sometimes you may get an answer by being vulnerable or just maybe honest could be the same kind of word. So here we go. Let me just say, so the question was, are you going through heartbreak right now? And we've got, uh, we've got a yes and no, got a yes, uh, but Jesus has helped me through it. And this is this is a sad one. This is a sad one. Uh, yes, because my wife sleeps in her own room. Totally sucks. Hate it. That's that is some honesty right there. Uh, yes, thirty-one years of marriage ending, and uh, you just went through what was that? Twenty-five, I think you said. Yeah. Um, and man, it's not fun. It is not fun. It, it not and the 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 pain. Um, and here's this it's like breaking your own heart when you're the one who ends the relationship. So, man. Uh, hearts are breaking constantly and it seems like it's 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 part of the travel of the travail it might be travail might be a better word of life that you're going to get it but when somebody asked a question earlier though by the way let me answer this about florence about they said well do people why did they die my my grandparents died within three days of each other wow uh, and here's here's you here's a here's a sad story what happened was grandma died on the couch and uh I said three days, three days is not right. It was seven days. And for four days, grandpa was on his knees attending to her when she's already, right. she's already deceased. He wouldn't move. Finally, they had took him to the hospital and then he died. So, man, I mean, they didn't know anything other than being together. And it's so sad. But that's a beautiful story, too. Well, I mean, do tell. they really were so connected to each other that they couldn't imagine being apart. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a good way to go. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't say it was a bad way, but I mean, it's a sad way. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, a, you know I, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. All right. When you live next to a, a partner for that many years at a time, 
our bodies actually sync up. So, you know, if you're lying in bed next to someone for years, your heart rates are going to line up, your stress levels or your cortisol levels get released the same amount in the mornings and the evenings, your respiration rates are the same. Mm -hmm. When that person suddenly takes off or disappears, your body registers that as as a very alarming event. You you notice it deep deep into your cells, into your into your brain, and it can make a huge difference in your in your immune system. All right, let's uh, take a, a look at another great uh, word here. This is a Psalms one forty seven three. It says, uh, "He healeth broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds." And uh, you know, since we were saying this time heal. Or they say time heals all wounds, and here it's basically said that God is the one that heals heals the wounds. But let me ask you something, Florence. When when uh, the spiritual guidebook says that God heals the wounds, and um, without ascribing it to God, say for those that are kind of either way on that, would uh, for instance finding out how to get your heart broke or, or healed from breaking the damage that's done get healed from that. Each person may have a different way that th comes into their life that brings that to bear. Maybe an, another relationship that's way better, uh, or removal of the, the one that's damaging your heart. But one could say again, back to Rascal Flats, God bless the broken road. So it looks like the healing can come in a variety of ways through our life that you may get your heart broke, but something in your life. I mean, your heart are, is your heart still broken, by the way? No, my heart's all better. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's still, I don't boo -boo. think the heart, no more boo-boo. It never complete. You don't have complete closure, right? You're, you're always going to have a scar. You're always going to have a little wound, mm -hmm. but it's part of what it becomes a part of who you are and you can learn to grow around and from those wounds. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say I have kind of a little three part plan to heartbreak recovery. Okay. And, um, it's general enough that I think it can apply to a lot of people. But the first thing is when you're when you're still in the sort of the shock and stunned phase of a heartbreak, you need to figure out how to calm down because if you're still in that kind of fight or flight zone, you're not going to do a lot of healing. Mm -hmm. So you need to do whatever's going to help you relax and calm down. And then the second piece is to find some connection. So either connecting to other people like your friends and your family, people you can trust and open up to that's gonna make you feel a little bit less lonely, but also connecting, as we said, to the natural world or connecting to the parts of yourself that are spiritual and that, that help you feel less alone. And then the third part is finding some purpose and meaning from your painful experience. What's the story about how this pain is gonna help you move forward? Ultimately, those are the things that are gonna make your body and your heart feel better. Hmm. Okay, let's get to another question over here. Um, which is worse, having your heart broken or breaking your own heart? Ooh, that's a good one. They both sound pretty terrible, don't they? But I think if you break your own heart, how do you how do you recover from that? That's a hard one because then you have to rebuild your relationship with yourself, which may be harder than it sounds, but not not impossible. People do it. People do it all the time. And in fact, if you can grow from that, you can probably really learn a lot and help other people. Mm -hmm. So if, if your cells are listening to your heartbreak, um, 
what happened? Could could one watch a cell under a microscope and see a change? Or could yes. you, you could go ahead describe uh, what would they see? What would somebody see? Yeah, well, what you would see, and 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 we did this with my, I had my blood analyzed at a lab at UCLA. You can't do this in your doctor's office, <laughs> um, but I had a geneticist looked at my transcription factors. So those are the signaling that the signaling molecules that tell your immune cells how to behave. So what you can do is you can analyze the blood to look for those transcription markers, and they're the markers that are either going to upregulate your white blood cells for inflammation, or they're gonna downregulate your your blood cells for fighting viruses. And you can see that in a lab, and that's the marker of loneliness. How much inflammation you're putting out, that's loneliness. So in fact, there's a psychologist who said to me, there's an inflammation story of divorce. And that's the story that I wanted to hear. Hmm. Okay, we have this uh, question here. It says, is it true when one commits infidelity that they're not just breaking the heart of their partner, but ultimately they're breaking their own heart themselves. Well, I think you're if you're betraying a trust, um, then there's probably going to be for you some moral anguish in that and some ethical anguish. You may feel like you've done something wrong. Um, that's going to generate a lot of guilt potentially. That's going to could be hard to deal with. Um, but you know, a lot of couples survive this kind of betrayal. Um, people learn to forgive each other. People learn to forgive themselves. Sometimes you can move on from this, and sometimes you can heal from it. Hmm. Okay. For those of you just joining the broadcast, we have on our newsmaker line, Florence Williams. If you have a question, you can put your questions in the live chat on both the website or the YouTube channel. The show will be edited and uploaded to YouTube and to Apple Podcast after the show, uh, so be sure to look for that. Um Physically, they say that the heart, if you had a heart transplant, you would have the memories. You could, people have had the memories of the donors. What if the person of the heart transplant you get just went through a heartbreak? Would that heartbreak transfer to you as well? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm, you'd have to get a cardiologist in here to ask that one. Not so sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who's had a heart transplant to you. No. No, but we talked about it during the bear report. Little boys when we get once. We'll see. I guess we couldn't see about that. I mean, I don't think little little children can get their heart. Well, maybe they can. Can little children get their heartbreak too? Sure. You know, there are all kinds of heartbreak. Any kind of broken attachment. So, you know, you can have broken attachments to your parents. You can have broken attachments to your landscape, to your home. Look at all these, you know, communities and neighborhoods that are on fire now. Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's certainly a kind of heartbreak, no mm -hmm. question. Well, to that point there, and I've shared this on the show before, uh, the power company came through and they told me that tree one, two, and three are going to be cut down, which I planted and watched grow. I'm a, I'm a prolific tree planter, hundreds of trees, love trees, mm. and I knew they were going to be cut down. I'm sorry. And, and they, they're going to be ground to dust. And I thought, for one thing, I, I want the body and, uh, you know, with the body of the tree. Yeah. But before they died, before they got ripped to shreds in the shredder, I went and told them. And somebody say, that's that's wrong. But I felt I felt I felt like I want to talk to them. And I felt I just feel like there's look, I feel like there's life in rocks. OK, so I'm, I'm, I'm that doesn't mean I'm worshiping nature or rocks, but I believe that a lot of things have life in them. It is proven. 
that if you talk to plants that you can alter the way and many people you can watch two plants grow together and you'll see them they'll grow the opposite direction because they don't want nothing to do with the one right next to them you can see they're trying to get away from them they can't because they're stuck in the root you know it's kind of like uh, uh lord of the rings when the trees go running around through there but anyway so no i did i did talk i did talk to the trees and um uh, i did take their bodies and uh, i did spread them around other places <laughs> so we we as as humans we're really capable of being attached to other species there's no question look at you know our pets right mm -hmm. you can have the same thing with a with a with a tree why not mm, okay all right well we got here um well like we've already talked about these questions here um what now you gave us three three ideas about how to how to fix a broken heart how about how do we prevent the heart from being broke oh boy never being in love but who wants that? That's uh, not worth it. No, no. I, think that we can, that. I think that we can learn how to treat each other's hearts better. Mm -hmm. And that okay. can start in childhood by teaching our kids emotional intelligence, teaching, teaching our kids how to have healthy expression of their emotions, mm -hmm. teaching them how to communicate their emotions and their needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe we could prevent a lot of marriages from going bad if we teach our kids from the beginning mm -hmm. how to talk to each other and how to love each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Florence, you've been you've been smiling through this interview so far, and uh, that indicates to me a, a good heart. Um, but we were just talking <laughs> about the children. Um, they need to see smiles, but these days they're not allowed to see smiles. Mm. As you know, I'm going with that one. They can't see people's facial expressions. They can't see smiles. Is this going to permanently damage these children? You know, kids are very perceptive. Kids can tell your emotions. You know, even our pets can tell our emotions, right? Mm -hmm. I think kids have no trouble telling when their friends are running around happy, when they're laughing. You can hear them. You can see their eyes. Um, I'm not that worried about the facial expressions. I'm more worried about people feeling isolated and people being isolated. So I think in these times, it's really important for our kids to have meaningful connections with other kids, meaningful connections, certainly um, with their peers. Um, that's what I worry about more than the actual facial expressions, because I, I think the kids can figure out the emotions behind the masks. Okay, so is it going, is it going to lengthen the time of, of their uh, being able to develop normally? Um, I, you know, I think it remains to be seen. Like I said, I think kids are incredibly adaptable. They learn really easily. Their brains learn really easily. I think kids are having a hard time. A lot of kids are ha having a lot of hard times right now in terms of their mental health. I don't think it's because of the mask wearing. I think it's because, um, you know, they're not being able to do as many activities as maybe they want to do. They're not being able to play as many sports sometimes as they want to do. But I think they're going to bounce right back. I really do. Okay, we take a look at the polls to see if we move the polls any. Any uh, we have? Uh, how can you mend a broken heart? Uh, number one, there is still seek nature's God. There, fifty-three uh, percent there. Uh, ignore it ever happened. Twenty-three percent. Fifteen percent says it can't be fixed. And then we got seven percent that they want to do the Amazon thing. They want to get a replacement. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would like to start over, but. Uh, Honestly, I don't know if that's possible. It seems like you're going to have to carry carry that weight, kind of like the Beatles said, carry that weight a long time. 
That's right. Um, but you can't um, just let it go forever. <laughs> so there's a piece of it that's going to stay with you. So we had a guest on the program, a doctor from England, who said he has literally cured cancer by without drugs by simply fixing the surroundings the toxic surroundings of the people that he come in. In other words, I guess he looked at it sort of holistically, I guess that might be the word, but many of them, many of them was bad relationships. Toxic relationships were causing cancer. Now, I'm not suggesting that people get rid of somebody in their life that's causing them some grief because I'm not a psychologist and I certainly wouldn't want to be responsible for that. But on the other hand, toxic relationships do cause sickness and to that doctor who said he's cured 30,000 of them just by fixing. And some of them, they weren't all relationships. Some were their surroundings, where they worked, the pressure they were under, those kinds of things. Uh, a lot of them were relationships. Um, but so what's your suggestion on when somebody is, say, stuck in a cell busting relationship? Yes. Well, we do know from the, some large-scale epidemiology and some studies that being in a very bad relationship is bad for your health. That's true. Um, so the psychologist I talked to about this at the University of Utah said we need to teach people skills how to fix their marriages. Um, and sometimes that can be done and sometimes it probably can't be. But the earlier we start, and like I said, if we start teaching our kids how to talk to each other and, and how to care for each other's hearts. I think that's, a, that's going to be a good start. And um, if, we can, if we can learn to get along better and improve our relationships all around, that's going to be good for our health. Mm -hmm. um, then we have uh, another scripture here. I think it says, uh, now this goes kind of the rascal flats, all things work together. We know all things work together for good to them, them that love God. Uh, is spirituality, uh, Florence, a a method or a part of healing the heart? I, I think it absolutely can be. Um, you know, really the definition, one of the definitions of spirituality is that you're aware of something and connected to something larger than yourself, right? And so um, that is the definition of an open heart. If you are open to other people, if you're open to the cosmos, if you're open to God, whoever it is for you, um, that's where your heart wants to be, no question. Well, if, if there's a sort of a, a healing from above, let's say, uh, would that indicate that perhaps maybe some of this heartbreak might be coming from down below, so to speak? <laughs> You know, I think humans are very capable of hurting each other's hearts. We don't necessarily need other forces to do it for us. We're, we're, we're pretty good at that, huh? At it by ourselves. <laughs> as, a, as a human thing, man, we're really good at breaking hearts. And I, but well, hey, but speaking of that, do can animals break each other's hearts? Um, we do know that for you know sometimes you you hear these stories right of pets who lose their master. And they sit by their master's house or by the master's bedside for years waiting for their master to come back. Mm -hmm. I think animals definitely do understand some kind of attachment loss. No, no, I can see I can see that because I'm I'm at, I'm at man, there's there's some videos and pictures out there, especially of say like military men where a, a dog will go to That's the right. basket. It is I'm gonna say one of the pitiful or sad, I don't know how it is. It's 
You don't ever want to see that because that dog is going to just stand there. He's not going to leave. But that's sort of the human attachment. And obviously this, this so-called animal has an, is having an emotional response, which seems to indicate that it has a conscience being. Yeah. But could another dog break a dog's heart? Yeah. Well, we, we, you know, we see it sometimes, you know, we see it with higher order uh, mammals. We see it with whales, we see it with dolphins, we see it with chimps, see it with other primates. Mm-hmm. There's a, there is definitely grief. Uh, in those animal populations, especially when their their offspring are injured or killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the classic, the elephant, I believe, which actually has a funeral procession. If they find out that one of their buds is dead, they will literally have a, they call it an elephant procession. They'll go and they're, you see, I've seen the video, they're just so somber and they're yeah. walking and then they, I guess they go around the, the dead elephant. And then obviously the emotion, I think they've probably even recorded tears. So, man, it sounds to me like elephants can have broken hearts too as well, Florence. It sure does. All right. From Feely Speaking, it says, as a rule, does lust deliver heartbreak as a parting gift? If this, how, is this how lust deceives? Not necessarily. No, I think that, you know, we have um, kind of these lust drives in our in our brains. We also have attachment drives. We have love drives. Um, I, I think that all of these things can combine in different ways and and no guarantee, no predictability how they're going to work out. Mm. Life is like a box of chocolates. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yep. You okay. don't really know what you're going to get once you bite into it. <laughs> okay. Shimon Akia says, Florence, what about a collective broken heart due to severe circumstances in a population? Yeah. The collective. Yeah. So, uh, you know, collective pandemic is certainly causing a lot of collective grief and heartbreak right now for a lot of people. Um, you see after sort of a major nat- natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I talked about that kind of Takotsubo heartbreak that people get. We see increased rates of that um, after something like an earthquake or a really deadly tornado. So um, there can be people experiencing collective grief and collective heartbreak, no question. Mm. So how does the collective get over said collective heartbreak? Whenever well, I have to get together? Is, is by acting collectively. So by helping each other out, by going through this together, by um, um, sharing resilience as well as sharing grief, um, all of these things can actually be very healing. Mm-hmm. And by the natural world. You know, after, 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 the, um, after Hurricane Katrina, the community came together and replanted a lot of those trees. After the Joplin tornado, the community came together replanted thousands and thousands of trees. Um, these acts of connecting to nature also made people feel closer to their communities and closer together and became very important for their healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm a beekeeper and in a beehive, uh, all the workers, all of them are female and the queen of course is female. And then they have what's called drones. These are the males and they sort of mirror society, they don't work. They don't bring that to the hive. All they do is bang the queen. That's all they do. So the, once they do that, the, they die. But And they still, a lot of them still hang around the hive. Now, 
The rest of the bees, all being female, they don't have any male association relationships in their life. So would they be happier than, say, the, the queen who has a drone, a, a, a quickie, basically, and then dies and loses the man? Would, would the other bees be happier without... So what I'm saying is, would people be better without risking a relationship so their heart would never be broken or is it worth the risk well you know there are a lot of poems about this there are a lot of sayings and adages about it um, my belief is that humans are meant to love and if we deny ourselves that we deny ourselves a part of being human so mm -hmm. as much as it can sometimes hurt to lose love ultimately mm -hmm. love is kind of what it's all about Mm. It seemed like there was a scene in, in the Matrix where, where Mouse said uh, to deny our impulses is to deny what makes us human. Uh, so our right. impulses, like you, I guess you're suggesting is that, uh, that we are born, born to love, I guess. Born, We're born to, to love. love. You know, there are a lot of ways to define love. So you can, you can be very fulfilled by loving your family, by loving your community, mm -hmm. by loving your God. There are a lot of ways to love. There are a lot of ways to be loved. And I think there's a lot of fulfillment to be found even in the absence of romantic love. Mayor mm -hmm. says, how do you keep your heart from scarring after it's been broken? Now, all wounds do leave a scar. I got a scar in my hand, whereas I was fishing and I went, I did a Superman and, and uh, put a big gash in my hand. So there's a scar there, but the heart gets scarred. Is there, is there any way it can not be scarred from being broken? Can maybe just, can it get wounded without a scar or is there always going to be a scar? You know, I would argue that it's okay to have some scars. In fact, I would argue it can make you a better person for showing up for the people in your life that you still love because you have more sympathy, you have more empathy, you understand suffering. If you're connected to your own scars to an extent, not so that they're debilitating, but so that you have an understanding of mm -hmm. suffering, um, it, can make you, it can make you more capable. Ironically, having a wounded heart can make you more capable of love, mm -hmm. ultimately. I believe that. So what if somebody has a broken heart and they can't figure out how to fix it. So let's just say they start eating chocolate and they, and they, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, they, chocolate's terrific. It seems to me, I've seen some movies with that too, I mean, <laughs> where this, this, somebody just starts eating chocolate. So I mean, can, can you replace the wound, the love that you lost with a love that you love? And then would that make everything all better? So that's a really interesting question. Um, we know that when humans love humans or when humans love their pets, uh, we release opioids into opioid receptors in our brains. And in the absence of that, there are other things that land on those opioid receptors and make us feel really good, such as synthetic opioids, such mm -hmm. as drugs, um, maybe a ton of chocolate. Mm -hmm. So you can replace the bonds of human love with chemical substances. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. <laughs> it's not going to mm -hmm. make you healthy in the long run, but what, there are what, what if somebody was to lace chocolate with, say, a certain substance? Would that be a healing, a healing effect too, as well? 
Yes, it can be an analgesic effect. It can make the pain feel a little bit less painful. The flip side, though, is that if you're numbing your brain from pain, you're also numbing it from joy. Mm. So you have to be really careful how you numb your pain. Okay. Jim Shook says, um, Lawrence, when somebody puts up a wall after their heart has been broken, what could be done to tear that wall down? That's a great question. Yeah, I think, um, again, this feeling of connecting to the natural world can help you open your heart again. Mm -hmm. Feelings of connection to other people can help you open your heart again. Sometimes it's going to be a slow process. You need some patience. Sometimes you can't go looking for it or forcing it. You need to just wait for it. But the more you can look for beauty and the more you can feel a sense of awe in the universe, the more likely you're going to be able to tear those walls down. Hmm. And walls is definitely something that people hide behind after they've been damaged. They they go to, they, they typically, yeah. we, I'm going to say we, I'm going to say we too. I don't, uh, you know, go into some heart protection mode. Yeah. You know, once you don't want it to ever That's happen normal. again. But, but it is going to happen again. Uh, well, it doesn't have to, I guess. But uh, what if somebody was to find their perfect love? Does, does, in life, does everyone have a perfect love out there they just haven't found? I don't believe they do. I think that that's a story that Hollywood tells us. I think that's a Disneyland story. I think that there are probably a lot of potential soulmates for all of us out there in the world. And nobody is perfect and nobody's going to be you're everything. And so that's why we need to learn how to communicate. It's why we learn need to learn how to accept some flaws in each other, including in ourselves. Um, you know, and, and then once we've, you know, become more vulnerable with each other, become more honest with each other, accept our flaws, um, that's where we can hopefully really find, you know, a fulfilling way to move forward. But it's not going to be a Hollywood ending all the time. Hmm. So what does science mean? Now, you, you've, you've, you're connecting science with self-discovery, science with cells, um, but science as, as, as a general rule, do they look at it like spiritual matters that doesn't exist because they can't duplicate it, so therefore, whatever, it's just a uh, chemical imbalance and that kind of thing? Is that the way they look at it, or is anyone in the scientific community becoming to an idea that maybe there's something more to this heartbreak with human emotions than just cellular damage or chemical imbalance or toxicity. Yeah, I think there is an understanding that some of what's out there is mysterious and science can actually be a pathway to appreciating awe and appreciating the mysterious. So it doesn't necessarily need to, you know, answer every question definitively, but I think that that actually through understanding science sometimes our minds can be blown by how incredible, mm -hmm. you know, our bodies are, by how incredible our minds are, by how incredible human human landscapes and ecosystems and the outer mm -hmm. space. You know, it, it's all mind blowing. It's all awesome, mm -hmm. and it can all open our capacity for the for appreciating mystery and appreciating love. Mm -hmm. So the Bible says that the life is in the blood. And we're talking about cells, and there's certainly cells in the blood. Um, what if somebody had, uh, say, maybe gone through a heart, heartbreak, 
and then developed immunity um, and their cells rebuilt because they were they were fixed uh, they were healed and then what if you that person gave a blood transfusion to another person whose cells are being damaged <laughs> by a heartbreak would that person be healed whoa that's that's a really wild question um so the way our immune systems work is you you can't just i think transplant your immune cells to another person um and have it completely take over all of your immune system you can transfer some antibodies you know perhaps mm -hmm. transfer some t cells transfer some b cells but but the way our bodies work is that our immune systems are supposed to listen to our external world and they're supposed to listen to our emotional state mm -hmm. uh, and that's how our immune systems can really help us it's just that sometimes it backfires because when we feel lonely our immune systems think that we've been left out on the savanna by ourselves and mm -hmm. it's not a place where we want to be forever and no matter how many immune cell transplants you're going to get <laughs> your bone marrow is still going to be making new immune cells depending on how lonely you feel. Well, you've mentioned uh, visiting nature as, as, a, as a healing tool. Um, how does the, the visual of nature mm -hmm. heal a cell? Well, I think when we are calm, our nervous systems will say, there's no threat here. Look at that beautiful green tree. Look at that beautiful clean water. Look at that calm sky. I don't feel threatened right now. In fact, I feel really peaceful. I feel happy. I don't need to put out a lot of inflammation into mm -hmm. my immune system, into my body. Mm -hmm. I can actually um, just feel really calm and really centered and grounded and healthy right now because I don't need to be in a fight or flight state. Mm -hmm. I can relax. And nature can really help us get there. Okay. So me and the wife was out in nature up there at uh, uh, Glacier National Park, and uh, we were on the trail. And of course, warnings everywhere, carry yeah. your bear spray. I knew you were going to bring up bears. And how's that? And so, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I was, I was in a fight or flight mode the whole time, uh, worried about the bear, um, yeah. and you know, yeah. getting mauled and ate and dragged all through the forest. Um, yeah. did I damage my cells? No, because actually your cells were really helping you there. They were, they were preparing you for, for, doing a fast action, whipping out your bear spray really quickly, climbing a tree really quickly, maybe playing dead. Uh, you know, when your body's alert like that, it's going to save your life. What you don't want is to be in that state for months and months and years and years through loneliness. Well, so it's okay to get into a fearful situation. Absolutely. But don't, but don't live in it. Don't don't live in that. That's right. It, you, that stress is going to save your life in the short term. It's great. Okay, Azura says, Florence, can a person who's had their heart truly broken, truly, truly broken, can it be repaired? I believe it can. It's not going to look exactly the same as it did before the heartbreak. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in some ways a different person than you were before the heartbreak. Mm -hmm. But you can grow from that wound. You can grow into someone who's capable of so much joy and so much love and giving so much to other people and that's ultimately the most fulfilling thing we can do if it's one's purpose or one's design or fate to have their heart broken and we're talking about the road that we that we're all on different roads is it 
Could it be that it was designed that way so that is it that a person who's had a broken heart now has empathy and 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 knowledge to help somebody else who's going through a heartbreak? Could that be the purpose why somebody went through a heartbreak and they don't even know it? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, suffering is a part of being human. And maybe you could make the case that you're not going to be a full human unless you understand suffering. Hmm. All right. Uh, Southern Boy says, is there any evidence of fasting curing those heartache side effects? It does medically. I'm not an expert in fasting. My understanding is that it can be helpful in some situations and less helpful in others. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we have, uh, we're talking about heart things in, in the good book here. It says uh, in Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart forever. Evidently, there's some, some words there that are definitely written for the people who've had their heart broken and said that there's a, a higher power that is that is God that right there who is observing the broken heart and he must have the same empathy that we're talking about maybe once you have a broken heart toward others whose heart is breaking I think a strong belief in God and that God is going to take care of you is is really going to help you feel less lonely and then it can can really help you with a broken heart there seems to be a lot a lot about uh, the heart in the good book and I I think because it it, it seems like it knows a lot about the the ways of people in general, you know, and uh, so it does seem to offer hope in that realm. So I'm thinking that might be a good source for people if they're going through heartache to turn to the good book, at least because if you, uh, another place it says faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're hearing that or if you're seeing that, then your broken heart, I'm wondering if that is actually written cell repair. Just by reading that, your cells start to get some repair going there. Absolutely. Anything that's going to get you out of yourself and make you think about how connected you are to other meaningful things in your life is going to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's, it does seem that 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 it, it is suggesting that people are going to go through a hard heartache. So should people resent having to go through heartache? Did you resent the heartache you went through? I did at first, absolutely, because it's a really uncomfortable feeling. It's miserable. You can't sleep. You're angry at the person who hurt your heart. Um, you're processing a lot of really uncomfortable emotions. It's super uncomfortable. It's easy to feel what what one psychologist told me is abandonment rage. Um, there's a lot of raging and regretting and resenting, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, by the end of this long process, um, I think it's not unrealistic to even come out of it to such a point that you're sort of grateful for the experience. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you're really on the other side. So there is cell damage. Uh, is there any other damage that a broken heart causes? Um, well, it depends how you respond to your broken heart. Um, a lot of people respond to a broken heart by, by hurting themselves. So they drink too much. Um, you know, they just stop exercising. Um, maybe they don't leave the house. Maybe they become short tempered, um, with people around them. So that can cause some damage. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it takes, I think a lot of self composure, you know, to try to, um, not let all of your impulses, you know, mm-hmm. run away with you. And then, you know, to the extent that maybe they do, then to do some repair on the other mm-hmm. end. Um, 
I would go out on the limb and and think that uh, a lot of people have have holes in in their heart. I say holes in their heart could be holes in their soul. There's something missing. And then you mentioned alcohol and probably perhaps drugs and that kind of thing. Maybe even sex addiction too. But there's a void in their heart. They yeah. call it they call it a void in their heart, and they're constantly trying to fill it with something. And but they never can. The heart can never be filled. Uh, with these sort of temporal things that people get involved with. But if the body is fighting off the, those things, say, because let's just say that, uh, you know, somebody turns to drinking. So now the body is fighting off the drinking, uh, the, the damage from the alcohol. Well, then if a heartbreak comes along, the body's now fighting two wars. And isn't it that we're, our body is fighting all these wars is why, say, somebody would have the exact same condition um, but they wouldn't be as damaged as another person because they're fighting multiple wars. Suppose they somebody drinking and they're smoking and they got a lot of hate in their heart and then their heart gets broken. Another person has their heart broken and they don't, they're not fighting the other wars. Is it more likely that the person who's not fighting wars on many fronts is going to have a survivability higher than the other person who's fighting the war on multiple fronts? I think I followed all that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the more stressed out, someone feels the the more um the more wars as you say the more wars they're fighting the higher the risk of of health outcomes that are problematic absolutely mm -hmm. yeah. all right we got somebody says in the live chat that they eat too much um yeah. so uh but and i think i asked this question to another guest i'll ask you well you know what if you know if i like an oreo cookie brings <laughs> me a lot of joy um but yeah, it can make you fat. So now, and it probably is not healthy, but does the joy of eating that cookie bring me more health benefits than the negative because it's, it's not even, a, it's not even real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, if there are certain foods that bring you a lot of comfort and are going to help you feel calmer and, and more relaxed, um, there can be a place for that. But it's probably not a long-term fix. Mm -hmm. And we know this because the scientists who are looking at the immune cells are looking at the cells of people who seek a lot of pleasure, such as from Oreo cookies, mm -hmm. as opposed to people who um, seek purpose in their life. Mm -hmm. They have a big question they're asking about why it is they do the things that they do that mean something to them. Mm -hmm. It's so, those people who are going to have a better looking immune system than the ones who really just feel a lot of pleasure. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned uh, uh, what seemed to be a truism that some people have voids in their soul and in their heart that can't be filled and they keep trying. And that's why they, you know, they go from, for instance, if they say, um, uh, maybe start with porn, pornography, and then uh, then it gets worse and it goes into pedophilia and then it gets worse and it goes to bestiality. They gets worse and worse and worse once that, 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 that as they try to fill that, what do you know that can fill that void that wouldn't, where somebody wouldn't have to have these, these sort of, uh, rising to these, you know, get to where people would hurt themselves even, you know, it gets worse and worse. It's escalation. What is it you think that they could fill their heart with instead? Well, that's a complicated question, and I think it's going to be different for different people. But um, we know that human connection 
you know, real authentic relationships between people, authentic relationships between people and the natural world. Um, these are things that can help fill, I think, a lot of holes in people's mm. hearts. And I, I wish that we were teaching our kids to be more connected to the natural world. And I wish that we were teaching them better skills so that they don't feel so lonely when they're mm-hmm. when they're growing up. Well, I think the problem now is, though, if you say you take kids out in the forest, they're going to be on their cell phones. They're going to be looking for a place to sit down or they're going to be walking down the trail and they're going to be on their cell phones. So would, yeah. you, would you be of the mind saying no cell phones allowed on the trail in the forest? I, I think that would be a great goal. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. if you say that, you're going to make a lot of kids hate the forest. So I think, you know, it's you have to be careful about how you do it. There actually are some interesting, um, even potentially some interesting apps or some interesting games that, that kids can use mm-hmm. to sort of... Um, get themselves even out the door, you know, mm-hmm. little apps that they can use in nature. They can take photos in nature. Eventually I would like to see them be able to say, Hey, I actually like, kind of like nature. I like what I'm learning. Even if I, it was my phone that got me out here mm-hmm. and then they can build a real relationship with the natural world such that they can't wait to put their phones down. Mm-hmm. I've seen kids say they hate their phones. They don't want to be on their yeah. phones as much as they are. Well, that's good to know somebody out there, some kids out there doing that. Um, yeah. Uh, but isn't, but that's got to be the exception and not the rule. Isn't it that now there are more kids on social media getting all screwed up? Are, are these candidates for cellular damage at a heart level? Well, we know that, um, kids who spend more time on social media may have a higher risk, um, for some mental health problems, like feeling loneliness, feeling anxiety, um, so I think, uh, you know, the technology is sort of like a, any other kind of diet. You, you can't just have all the junk food. You need to have the broccoli and you need to have, you know, healthy, healthy vegetables. So it's okay to have phones and technology, but we also need to understand that we need some, some limits on that. We need limits on this technology and, and we need to get some healthy stuff in there as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, for every hour you're going to be playing a video game, go play outside for an hour. Mm. Go play outside for two hours. <laughs> there, there was a scene in Contact with Jodie Foster where Matthew Mahoney says, we have all this technology, but has it brought us closer together? And the answer was no. Yeah. All right. Um, we've got this question here. Uh, Southern Boy says, have, has anyone ever tried toad toxin? From the Bufo frog, it supposedly makes you have a rebirth experience, eliminating depression and drugs. I guess they like the frog that I we had in our background here. So <laughs> I guess frogs could be helpful. They got some kind of toxin, uh, toxin yeah. to eliminate depression and drugs. There is a psychedelic substance that you can derive from not only frogs but you know lots of different compounds and and. Some people find that these are really um, a, a sort of gateway to feeling awe and to feeling spirituality and to even in some studies have been shown to um, help people with, with post-traumatic stress and with depression. Um, I think it's a field that still needs a lot more scientific study, but it's pretty interesting. Well, maybe there's something to that uh, story about uh, the prince turning into a frog. <laughs> you know, I don't know, because it sounds to me like there's some love involved there. All right, Azura says, Florence, can a person who's had true love have a second time around? How many times can a person have true, and that's all caps, true love, and if the love is true, is it a one-time event? 
No, I don't think it's a one-time event. I think there are a lot of potential potential true loves out there. I think it depends on how how skilled you are at 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 loving other people and how how much they can love you. Um, I think uh, you know it's like having kids. You don't only love one kid. If you have two kids, you love them both. Mm-hmm. I think we're capable of of loving multiple times over multiple years and it doesn't go away when we get older we can still love just as intensely when we're in our 70s and our 80s as when we're in our teens and 20s hmm. so if going back to the the cells listen to our loneliness and then they cause some problems um, and I, I guess if that's the case do we seek out to not be lonely to reverse the curse of the cell damage? Yeah, we do. We have a real drive. I, you know, some people argue that feelings of loneliness, that it's sort of a signal that our brains put out to tell us how to behave differently, to drive us to seek the company of others. Um, loneliness is um, it's kind of a message that our that our brains are giving us. And so um Unfortunately, sometimes it can be very hard to sort of break the cycle of loneliness, but it's worth the effort because being lonely is bad for ourselves. So there's a certain uh, thing going out there. It's called uh, M- uh, MNRA technology uh, designed to alter the cells. Can, can, can the heart be repaired chemically without the use of, say, reversing going from loneliness to being around people or going into the forest or finding your true love, can it be done through science and bypassing all that? Well, there are scientists who are studying possible drugs for loneliness. So I don't think we have them yet, but stay tuned. Uh, there are some there are some scientists who are looking into it. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Um, I tend to think we, we probably need more than just a pill in order to, you know, really fulfill our drive for human connection. Mm-hmm. To the heart question about trying to fill it, I think the Bible actually says the only person that can fill the heart is Jesus, get, having him in your heart. I guess it's, there's a, some say that there's a hole that's just where Jesus can reside. So it sounds like our spirits need a defense against a broken heart, sort of a buttress, something, something that can keep the heart inoculated from the, the damage that will come. Because if that heart is empty, then that damage is going to come. It's going to hit hard. Yeah, I think it, again, it comes down to um, feeling some purpose in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. If you can feel purpose, if you can have connection, mm-hmm. that's where your cells are going to be the happiest. Okay. okay, and what's your purpose? Do you think? I think my purpose is communicating. Um, it's it's um, helping people feel like they're not as alone, helping people find hope, um, and helping people learn that their emotions are okay. Um, so this book here, The Nature Fix, what is what is in that book? What's it about? This book is about the science behind why we feel different in different environments why when we're outside in a pleasant natural environment, we may suddenly feel like some of the stresses of modern life wash away. We feel happier. Mm -hmm. We feel like we have less negative thoughts. 
We may feel more creative ideas when we're out walking in the woods. Certainly lots of poets and musicians and inventors have come up with their greatest ideas while they're out in the woods. Um, And this really looks at the science behind that. So um, I talked to neuroscientists. I talked to physicists, um, people who are putting um, EEG caps on people's heads and measuring brain waves. Uh, what's going on in their frontal cortex as opposed to their sensory brains when they're outside in nature. And uh, super, super interesting new science coming out on this. Well, the Holy Holy Writ says that nature declares there is a God. So it it seems, and I know I I feel close to God when I go out into nature and and see the, the beauty and thinking, okay, well, this didn't, there's no way this came out of some primordial soup and just just sprung out and all this beauty. And how do we even know it's beauty? You know, unless there's some kind of spiritual component to nature itself. Uh, the ancients of the early Americans referred to it, Benjamin Franklin referred to it as nature's God, talking about the rights of humans. But, and that's why that was phrased that way in that in the poll that we have about nature's God. So so do you feel more spiritual in, in the forest or do you feel more chemically balanced? Both. <laughs> I think those two things are related for me. Um, I certainly, when I'm when I'm out in nature, I, here's an example. Um, I was I was going for a walk in the woods, and I I was um, I was upset about a conversation that I'd had with someone, and I my my head was down, and I was just thinking about this negative conversation, thinking about it over and over again, and all of a sudden, this giant owl swooped down from a tree and flew right across my path. And my brain just stopped. All those negative thoughts just went away. And all I could think about was that owl. It took me outside of my own head in a way that was so mentally health, healthy and so beneficial. And it made me think, wow, my, my, my problem is not the only thing in the world. <laughs> There's a lot here. Maybe my problems are not so as important as I think they are. It gives you perspective, makes you feel in a healthy way. Like your ego is really not such a big deal. There, there, there's a whole world out there full of beauty and wonder. And you know what happens when we're just looking at our feet and we're missing out on that. So, so why do they say that the owl is wise? <laughs> wise old owl. I've never, I've never figured that one out. He, he knows something. I don't know what he knows because he never told me. Yeah, he never told me either. Um, so, so you had sort of an experience. So, uh, but then we're talking about a broken heart, which usually comes from a broken relationship, which damages itself, can cause sickness, and we're talking about ways to heal it. Um, but what about, um, say, and I mentioned in the first hour about some people like to take that additional stab. They know your heart's hurt, and they want to stab you a little bit more, inflict more pain. But what what if somebody say has unforgiveness and such does that cause the same sort of cellular damage that heartbreak does that some, someone has forgiveness or unforgiveness unforgiveness or hate so let's just say even hate does that cause the same damage to the heart or is that a different type or no damage at all you know i'm not i'm not really sure what the science says about that um you know i i, I think we we tend to think oh people who are angry are going to have heart attacks and die sooner um, and, and there were some signs a long time ago, I think, about people with so-called type A personalities, sort of hostile 
you know, personalities dying earlier. But I, but I actually think that got debunked. Um, some people who are angry are really tough. <laughs> and they seem to live a long time, don't they? So, yeah, yeah, and that, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Doesn't seem fair. <laughs> uh, well, you, I mean, you also have uh, uh, George Burns, who lived to like 95, and he said his secret was he had uh, he had a whiskey and, and a cigar in the morning, and that was his key to long life. So really, what works for one may not work for another. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend trying that one, but... <laughs> All right, so uh, so we talked about uh, the, uh, the, the nature, but then what about... Uh, the heartbreak book. What's in this book? In this book, I I talk about the ways in which my body broke down after my divorce, uh, and my journey to try to figure out what was wrong with me and why this was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and then the many sort of science-backed ways that I tried in order to get better, different kinds of therapies. I went into the wilderness for 30 days. Wow. Um, to try to heal. Um, and uh, eventually, by the end of it, I, I came out much more whole, and I felt like I had a story to tell. Mm. So um, that's your story, and you're sticking to it. Um, the other person, do they get a broken heart too? The person who does the leaving? The person you divorce from. Yeah, the the person who does the dumping. Um, yeah, the dumpster. Yeah, the, uh, he seems pretty happy. <laughs> so you're he's the dumpster dumpster, and you're the dumpy. That's right. I was the dumpy. Okay, so so does that person have a broken heart, or is he getting away with this? Um, that's a good question. I think uh, the, so. There's not as much science about the person who does the dumping. Mm -hmm. So the neuroscientists that I talked to, they put the dumpy people like me in a brain scanner and mm -hmm. they, they show them a picture of their dump jumper mm -hmm. <laughs> and they see what's going on in their brain. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been as much science looking at the person who does the leaving. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of different circumstances. I think sometimes people will leave a bad marriage and then they'll feel much better after they leave it. They'll feel relief, they'll feel safer, they'll feel happier. But I think often the person who does the leaving also feels very guilty. Maybe they've broken up a family, maybe there are kids, mm -hmm. maybe they know they hurt someone. Um, so I think there's a, a real range of emotions there, depending on circumstance. Hmm. It's not always a clear villain just because you're the one who leaves. Sometimes there's a good reason to leave. Was there a time before you were in this self-discovery? Was there a time when you would like to uh, give back some pain? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yes, this is one of the um, one of the symptoms of heartbreak. Sometimes is um, you know this um, feelings of anger, you know, uh, feelings of some vengeance, right? So, so these are also natural human emotions. People definitely feel them, and there's again, there's a lot of literature and a lot of poetry and a lot of Shakespearean tragedy. Look at Othello, right? Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. who. Um, definitely want to get some payback. <laughs> Pretty common. Well, I think the safe way is the biblical way where it says, where God says, vengeance, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I think it'd be better to let him do it than, than try to do it because it seems, seems like every time um, we um, go down that road, it backfires. So, so, so did you, were you able to withhold that or did you go ahead and throw some of them darts over that way? 
no, I would say, for, you know, I was able to, to rein that in pretty well. And I have kids in the picture. So I was really careful about wanting to protect them and, and not speak badly, you know, of, of their dad. That was really important to me. Um, you know, the tragic thing about vengeance is that unfortunately, it's often men acting violently toward women. So we see a lot of interpersonal violence. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of um, broken relationship violence is, is, is men, unfortunately, acting that way uh, on women. And, I, mm-hmm. and I, it's just one of the toxic mm-hmm. effects of, of loneliness um, and, and sort of toxic masculinity that mm-hmm. we have in our culture. Uh, conversely, would there be those women that maybe not be physically abusive to their husbands, but maybe psychologically abusive. And isn't that sometimes worse? You know, I think emotional would be abuse to- is, would, and is- Would you call that toxic femininity? Well, I think there's there's just, in general, there's a lot of, you know, there are sort of toxic relationship dynamics. Emotional abuse can happen from men or from women, either way. And yeah. uh, it's super we, we, don't, we don't hear much about toxic femininity uh, so I don't know. It seems like it's kind of kind of rigged against the males. Though I gotta say, the males have certainly done their part. But these days, it seems like it's an equal opportunity offense, uh, equal opportunity gamesmanship going on around. Yeah, I mean, emotional abuse can can flow both directions. No question. Mm, okay. All right. Well, Florence Williams, uh, we've been talking about the science of heartbreak. Uh, how can people get these books? Oh well, um, they're available you know, wherever you buy books. And I have a website where you can find out more about specific places to get them and more about the books themselves. And that's just FlorenceWilliams.com. Okay. Well, we have that. Again.